Well, good morning, C4. It's great to be here this morning and to uh, carry on with what Pastor John kicked off last week, which was our series in spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines. Well, after a really long, cold, hard winter, you know, I think so many of us are just kind of bursting to get out there, right? Like we just want to get out and we want to do things, things like sailing and other kinds of stuff. I don't know if you've noticed how many choices there are at this time of year. I think because we all have been cooped up for so long, and I think, you know, those who are running programs that they want to invite us to, they recognize that. And I've just noticed a real blitz on all of the kinds of things that, you know, we can get involved in. Around uh, around town, recently, I've seen signs for festivals, plays, schools, daycare, churches, and politicians. Um... And when you add to these, you know, some of the demands that have been placed on our time, you know, on, on family time to be involved in hockey and basketball and soccer and baseball and dance and gymnastics and puppy school and adult night school and ballroom dancing and health clubs and, and the list goes on and on and on. And I thought to myself, you know, no wonder we live such busy, schedule-driven, out-of-control, dysfunctional, gonna-pull-our-hair-out kind of lives. See, we were designed, you and I were designed to live in a world that was perfect and simple. But because of sin, we've polluted our planet, our relationships, and our spirituality. The results of a complicated life are physical, relational, moral, and spiritual crisis as we live dysfunctionally in our minds, in our bodies, and in our souls. Well, last week, Pastor John launched this series, this summer series called Spiritual Practices. And I, and I, I was just amazed at the, at the great job that Pastor John did last week as he kind of painted the picture for you and I about spiritual practices, giving us this great foundation on which we're to build over the summer as we now begin to look at, at different spiritual practices, different spiritual disciplines week by week by week. But John painted this great foundation, and one of the verses that he anchored that foundation in was Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Jesus is speaking, and Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus promises us rest for our souls, rest in the innermost, in the deepest part of who we are. The yoke that we take upon ourselves is to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus in his character and in his conduct. We become like Jesus by doing the same things that Jesus did. Jesus is our example. Jesus is our model as we face life and as we think particularly about the spiritual practices. We need to emulate Jesus in every way that we can. Jesus, he walked in submission to God the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit through gifts, but his source of deep connection with the Father came through spiritual practices. The same ones that you and I are invited to participate in. The spiritual disciplines, the spiritual practices invite us to place ourselves intentionally before God so that he can transform us. Today, I want to talk about the spiritual practice of simplicity. 
The Apostle Paul wrote this in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And in 1 Thessalonians 4.11 he said this. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you. Simplicity. I was really glad when Pastor John assigned me the subject of simplicity. Because it's actually something that is really near and dear to my heart. In 2007, my wife Jennifer and I and our two youngest children lived in Kenya for a while. I'd been pastoring a church or a couple of churches for about 15 years. You know, life and ministry, they they get complicated. You know, know, there's just stuff going on in your life. and, And we were able, we were afforded the opportunity to go and live in Kenya for a while. During our time in Kenya, we did a bunch of things. A bunch of things that we really loved. A bunch of things that we really enjoyed. We both lost weight. I particularly lost a whole lot of weight. Maybe I should go back. (laughs) We spent time, you know, learning from and encouraging Kenyan pastors. We learned a little Swahili. But perhaps the biggest thing that we learned while we were there, the thing actually that has stayed with us the longest, was this gift of moving towards and living out a more simple lifestyle. You see... Something actually changed in us that had an effect on us. Something happened on the inside of us while we were there that had a dramatic change when we came home with how we actually lived our lives. For us, it meant downsizing our house so that we could get rid of debt quicker. It meant buying secondhand so that we could pay for a young African boy's school. He just graduated from high school, by the way. It meant cutting out impulse buys so we could help widows and orphans. It meant giving stuff away. It meant not letting other people, particularly advertisers, tell us what we needed to buy or what we just simply couldn't live without. That was a dramatic change for us. And I'm forever grateful for the opportunity to take some time out to actually learn about simplicity. So as we look at simplicity this morning, here's where I want us to start. Simplicity, it's complicated. It is. It's complicated. It's complicated particularly in a North American context. It's complicated in the culture that you and I are a part of. See, simplicity can be very, very misunderstood. It can be very easily misunderstood. And so there are some pitfalls that I want to just help you be aware of as we begin to talk about simplicity this morning. And, and my hope is that coming out of this sermon this morning, that some of you will begin to read more, will begin to think more, and ultimately that you will begin to practice the spiritual discipline of simplicity. But there are some Huge pitfalls that we have to watch out for. And I need to just talk about those for a second before I launch into the scripture. The first one is simply legalism. We need to really be careful of legalism. If we try to arrange an outward lifestyle of simplicity without the inward reality, without an inward change of heart that is only found in the person of Jesus Christ, we will be in danger of living under legalism. Because here's the, here's the reality. Simplicity is not a list of do's and don'ts. And I'm going to say it at at the very end of my message. I'm going to repeat this again. You know, there's a huge temptation for me this morning to say to you, look, if you want to live a more simplistic lifestyle, here's nine things to do. 
But what would happen is we would just turn those into religious, you know, into relig- religiosity. We would just make them a list of do's and don'ts, and actually it would just become legalism for many of you. But simplicity is not a list. You know, there, there's, there's not a check mark that you can just say, if I check these five things off, now I'm living simplistically. So we, we got to be careful as we, as we entertain the thought about simplicity, as we begin to practice the spiritual discipline of simplicity, that we do not get caught in legalism. The second one, the second pitfall that I want to mention is asceticism. Asceticism essentially says this, it reduces the spiritual to good uh, or the tangible or material to evil. This is not Christian simplicity. The reality is that stuff isn't bad. Money isn't evil. Possessions aren't wrong. That's not the message of simplicity at all. Simplicity is always about putting things in their proper place. It's about having a proper perspective on the stuff and on the money that we own. See, we need to hold a biblically informed worldview of money and possessions. We need to understand what the scripture says about money, what the scripture says about possessions. Because it's not, it's not bad. It is not evil to own stuff. Hear me really clearly this morning. But simplicity allows us to see our stuff and our money in its proper perspective. And that is vitally important for us, especially in our culture. The third pitfall is guilt. You know, some of you are just better looking, you're smarter, you have higher earning potential, you have more influence than other people. And that's just a fact. That, that's just the way it is. Simplicity is not an attempt to try and level the playing field. That's not what the call of simplicity is in life. Simplicity uh, doesn't take, uh, sorry, simplicity doesn't seek to make uh, those with more feel guilty because they have more. That's not what simplicity is all about. And so as you think upon simplicity, as you read upon simplicity, as you begin to practice the spiritual discipline of simplicity, it it, it is not there to make you feel guilty because of the stuff that you have. And the final pitfall is motive. I'm not preaching on simplicity to make you feel bad. In fact, I hope you don't feel bad today. I hope you feel great. You shouldn't study or practice simplicity, you know, for religious reasons, All religion is a man-made attempt to get a right position before God. And we do not practice Christian simplicity in a man-made attempt to try and get right before God. We don't don't give away some of our stuff. We don't make big lifestyle changes so that suddenly we can actually look good or look better in God's eyes. That's not the Christian message or the spiritual practice of simplicity. Simplicity is really about making the main thing The main thing. Love is always our motivation. We do the spiritual practices. We do the spiritual disciplines out of love. Out of love for a a Savior who has loved us. We're trying to emulate Jesus. The goal of our whole lives is to become like him. Every day I'm trying to become more and more like Jesus. Every day you should be becoming more and more like Jesus. And so as we practice the disciplines, the spiritual practices that Jesus himself practiced, we, our motivation is out of our great love and gratefulness and thankfulness for what he has done for us and what he is doing in us. See, the motivation must be love. So what exactly then is the spiritual practice of simplicity? 
Richard Foster is the guy who's written the most on simplicity. If you're going to, or sorry, on all of the spiritual practices, if you're going to do any reading at all, Richard Foster is a guy you need to read. He defines simplicity this way. He says, simplicity is an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. It's pretty simple. An inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. Both the inward and the outward aspects of simplicity are absolutely essential. You cannot have one without the other. Simplicity, by its very nature, is countercultural. Because in our society, in, in the places that you and I live, the battle lines have already been drawn. Like, just think about it for a second. You know, we're going to talk about fasting in this particular, um, in this particular series, but there's no all-out assault from our society against fasting. In fact, you know, if you're going to fast in private, no one really cares about that. In fact, some other faith systems are, are actually revered because of their practice of fasting. So there's no all-out assault against fasting. There's no real assault against personal private prayer. If you want to take time, dedicated long times of prayer, and where you're going to sit and, and, and be quiet before God and pray to God, if you do that in the privacy of your own home, most of our society doesn't give a rip about that. They don't care about that. If you want to be silent, if you want to practice the, the spiritual discipline of silence, and you want to take a day at home and be silent, like no, no one's fighting you against that. No one's going to fight you on that one. And there's no open assault against service or silence or confession or a whole host of the other ones. But there is an all-out war against simplicity. Mass media has convinced us that to be out of step with fashion is to be out of step with reality. We are made to feel ashamed to wear something or drive something or use something, God forbid, until it wears out. We need an upgrade, a newer model. Better features, bigger, smaller, lighter, faster. Anyone want to get rid of their iPhone? I didn't think so. The culture that we live in makes the spiritual practice of simplicity very difficult, really difficult. And by definition, it's countercultural. But, like, isn't that what being a disciple of Jesus is all about in the first place? Like, isn't that what Jesus has lived out and modeled for us? That we can be in the world, but not of the world. That you, you and I, by definition, because we have pledged our allegiance to Jesus Christ, we say he is our Lord and our Savior, we automatically sign up for countercultural living. That's the expectation. Again, Richard Foster says this, Simplicity is the only thing that sufficiently reorients our lives so that possessions can be genuinely enjoyed without destroying us. Without simplicity, we will either capitulate to the consumption spirit of this age, or we will fall into an unchristian legalistic asceticism. Both lead to idolatry. Both are spiritually lethal. Simplicity gives us perspective. We are free to receive the provision of a loving God, God our Heavenly Father. We learn to be grateful and thankful. We learn and we understand that we are stewards and not hoarders. And, and we learn to live with, with hands wide open when it comes to our stuff and our money and not to live with tight fists. You see, that's what simplicity helps us grapple with. So let's take a look first at the inward reality of simplicity. 
In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says this, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This verse comes from Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. It's a summary verse. Verse 33 is a summary verse of the section of Scripture that goes right in front of it from verses 24 down to 32. And I think they have a lot to say to us in this whole area of simplicity. In verse 24, Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In, in, this, in this particular verse, Jesus is actually talking about the question of allegiance. Where's your allegiance? Like, notice, notice that the verse doesn't say, which one do you get to master? It says, no one, no person can serve two masters. The verse already assumes that we are the servant. <laughs> we are not the master in it. We are the servant. We're not in charge. We're wired as people to serve. But we can only be slaves, Jesus is saying, to one master. Now the great news is, we get to choose. That's the good news. We get to choose. We get to choose God or money. God or possessions. God or consumption. God or hoarding. See, simplicity is freedom from worldly values of consumption, hoarding, and materialism. By understanding whom we serve... And by taking time to reorient our allegiance, we learn to shift our personal values. And that's one of the wonderful benefits that comes about internally from practicing the spiritual discipline of simplicity. We get to say, who's in charge of our lives? What choice have I made? What place does God hold in my life? And what place does stuff hold in my life? And that's an inward dialogue. That's an inward conversation that needs to happen as we take time out. Jesus continues in verses 25 to 27. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not? much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? The discipline of simplicity sets us free to see God as our provider, our great provider. Like Jesus is helping us to understand why he taught us to pray this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. See, one of the practices, one of the things that the practice of simplicity helps us with in an age where, quite frankly, we don't need to do this because of all of the modern appliances and all of the conveniences that we have, it helps us to remember that daily God is our provider. And we need to be reminded of that as North American Christians. God gives us our daily bread. And as we practice simplicity, we are reminded that God meets every day our needs. Then verses 28 to 30, Jesus continues, And why do you worry about clothes? 
See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Simplicity and the practice, the spiritual practice of simplicity is an antidote to materialism. If we settle the question of allegiance, then we don't need to be bullied into what the latest fashions are, what brands we need to buy, or what labels, you know, make us better in the eyes of other people. We're not talking about looking our best, and I'm not suggesting that quality and value don't matter. What I think Jesus is trying to free us from is an, is an unhealthy preoccupation and slavery to a different master than God. I think that's what Jesus' point is here. And in verse 31 and 32, he says this, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that that you have need of them. Simplicity is an ongoing exercise of the heart and the mind that prevents me from getting caught up in the value system that is in opposition to the value system of the kingdom of God. Christian simplicity requires us to distinguish between our wants and our needs. God promises that my needs will be met, but then he expects that out of our abundance, we help meet the needs of other people. Simplicity, frankly, keeps me from the lust of the eyes, the lust of the heart, and the boasting of the mouth. And it's based on this that Jesus then says in Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom. This is Jesus' response to what he's just pointed out. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. The inner reality of simplicity is remembering what the goal of life is. To seek first. To place as our highest priority the rule of God in our own lives and the furthering of the kingdom of God in our world. Like, this is the inner reality that the practice of simplicity seeks to foster in us. The goal of life, the goal of my life, I said it already, the goal of your life, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you call yourself a disciple, a Christian here this morning, the goal of your life has already been settled. The goal of your life is to become more like Jesus And so we are asking for the rule and the reign of God in our own lives. You know, your will be done in me, Lord. And then as we seek to have that happen, then we're looking for the reign and rule of God in in the world that we live in. We want more and more people to know this Jesus who is a great provider, this one who has forgiven and cleansed and set us free. See, that's the goal of our lives. Of course, we do other things. You know, some of you are, 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 are teachers, some of you uh, may be doctors or nurses, some of you are pastors. It, it doesn't matter what you do, but the goal of our lives doesn't change. The goal of our lives is the kingdom of God, the reign and the rule of God in us and in our, rule, in our world. But the inner reality is not really reality Unless there's an outward expression also. So now let's look at the outward lifestyle produced by simplicity. And what I'd like to do is just camp for a moment or two on Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. 
Like one of the things that we have to remember, one of the things that's so hard and so difficult for us as human beings to remember is this. We are finite beings. We can't do everything. We can't have it all. It's just not possible. Culture will tell you that you can, but because we're finite, we are designed with limitations. Simplicity recognizes those limitations. And here's what I think is so wonderful about practicing simplicity. It allows us to say no to some things so that we can say yes to other things. See, I think there are some things for me, and I'm not going to oppose them on you, but there are some things for me that are just a flat no. No, I should not be involved in that. I should not be doing that. I should not be spending my money that way. I should not be owning that. And motorcycles are now on that list. (laughs) Under duress, under duress. Uh, And I update the, the list weekly. Did I mention that too? No. But there are some things that are on that list, not because they're wrong, but because they're not beneficial. Simplicity helps me sort the list out. And in saying no to some of those things, I actually get to say yes to some other things that I'll never say no to. There are some things that if you've talked to me, I am wildly passionate about. But if I didn't practice simplicity, if I wasn't moving in a direction of simplicity, if I was trying to buy into our cultural uh, message that I can do everything and I can have it all, then the stuff that I am wildly passionate about, I would not be able to do because I'd be doing all of this other stuff. See, that's one of the gifts of simplicity. And I hope there are some things that you're wildly passionate about. I really do. Simplicity will help you in that journey. So the writer of Hebrews then says in verse 1, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, referring to all of chapter 11 and all of the men and women of faith who have been listed, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. See, one of the outward results of the inward change as we practice simplicity is this, that we need to just get rid of encumbrances. We need to get rid of stuff. We need to get rid of things. And I'm not talking just about tangible stuff because it says get rid of encumbrances and we need to disentangle ourselves from sinful habits. Like the writer of Hebrews is employing an athletic metaphor that I love here. It's talking about someone who's coming to run in the Olympic Games and as they show up to run in the Olympic Games, they would never show up with huge boots on, with a huge jacket on, or back in this day with a suit of armor on carrying you know, a shield and a spear and expect to even compete in the race. No, you, you get rid of all of the encumbrances, all of the things that slow you down in the race. Just get rid of them. That's what the writer's trying to say. And so as we consider simplicity, I'm wondering what our culture has burdened you and me with. Like popular culture screams loudly and then whispers seductively in our ears to fill our lives to overflowing, to jam more in, to generate more and more. And one of the things that gets generated what I've recognized in my own life and as I've talked to so many of you because we're all essentially the same is one of the things that gets generated more and more is just dissatisfaction. We, we just find that 
whatever we thought was going to fill that void didn't really fill the void. And we just find ourselves looking for another fill-up again. Like, think about TV alone. And I'm not anti-TV. Think about TV alone. It's a 10-minute cycle. Seven and a half minutes of programming that is specifically designed to keep your attention for the two and a half minutes of the real deal, which is the commercials. See, I see so many people running around loaded down with encumbrances that are keeping them from living a simple, fulfilling life as a follower of Jesus. And again, remember, encumbrances aren't necessarily evil or wrong. They're just encumbrances. They are things that are slowing you down. The writer of Hebrews goes on, and in verse 2 he says this, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here I think the writer is, is trying to encourage you and me to look to Jesus as our example. Like, fix your eyes on Jesus. As you want to get rid of these encumbrances, as you want to shed everything that's going to slow you down in the race of life, because the goal of our life, remember, again, is to become like Jesus. So who should we fix our eyes on then? Our eyes should be fixed on Jesus. He's the author and the perfecter. As another translation says, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus is our role model. Jesus is the one that we look to. It's why it's so critical that we become students of the Bible, why, why we need to not just read the Bible, but study the Bible, to, uh, to engage with the Bible, whether you do it alone or whether you do it in a connect group format or you t- go to a connect class, it doesn't matter. We need to be people who, who understand and learn the heart and the mind and the passion and the lifestyle of the Savior that we claim to follow. But, of course, Jesus is our ultimate example, but if you're like me, you know, having some other people that I can actually just like see is really helpful for me. And so look for people. Look for other role models. Look for people who are living a simpler life that you believe to be effective. And ask them, can we talk about this stuff? Like, you know, you don't have to give me your top ten list because, again, we don't want to get trapped in religiosity. But can, can we talk about just how you planned and how you were living? Because I think it could really help me. And then in verse 3, the writer of Hebrews says this, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We need to live with the end in mind. We need to live with the end in mind. As we look at the life of Jesus, the cross is a symbol and a sign of defeat and shame and disgrace. But for Jesus and for us, it isn't that at all. It's a sign of willingness to submit to the will of God the Father. It's a sign of coming to earth, of incarnational ministry, of giving up all that he had, all of the luxury and all of the glory of heaven, and becoming one of us that he might actually reach us. And then he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. But the story doesn't end there because on the third day he rose from the dead, proving that he is victorious over sin and over death. He's defeated all of the powers and authorities. 
made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them by the cross. And one day, he's coming back again for us. But until then, we need to live with the end in mind. Because we don't know when that day is. We don't know when our days on this earth end. And we don't know when Jesus is coming back again. And until then, one of the things, the main thing that we have to do is to become more like him. The Apostle Paul, right at the end of his life, said these things to a young pastor, a young protege named Timothy. In 1 Timothy 6, 7, he said, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. It's a great verse. It's humbling. It's sobering. 2 Timothy 4, 7. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. And I've kept the faith. Having the end in mind helps us clarify what's really, really important to us. What's necessary. What's strategic for us to finish well. And the practice of simplicity, the practice of the spiritual discipline of simplicity just aids us as we try to reorient our lives to become more like Jesus. So what do you and I do? How do we practice simplicity? Well, I really struggled. (laughs) I honestly struggled. I'm really reluctant to give you a set of things to do because of our human tendency towards religious legalism. Yet, I know that all of us myself included, we need help. You see, I can't tell you what the outward lifestyle expression for you will look like. That's actually between you and Jesus. There has been lots written on this by others that I'd be happy to share with you. And so um, if you want to email me or if you want to message me and and ask, I I have some helpful stuff that it's not mine. It's stuff that I've used. It's stuff that I have. I'd be happy to pass that along, and I think uh, our media team will put a PDF along with the sermon. That's doable, right? Yeah, I'm getting nods, so that's doable, so there'll be a PDF there. But please, even as you read the list, remember that this is about relationship. It's not about rules. (laughs) There's an inward change that must happen first. There's an allegiance question that must be wrestled first, and then that results in an outward lifestyle change. But it's between you and Jesus. We're not to judge one another. I can't judge you and I'm not going to judge you. And please don't judge me either for the choices that I make before God. But it is very important that we wrestle with this because of the culture that we live in. It is vitally important that we wrestle with it. So Dan, why don't you and the team come and get ready to lead us in a response. And we're going to respond in worship and through communion uh, today. And so I'd like to lead us in a prayer as we just kind of get ourselves ready for that. So as we often say around here, get yourself in a posture where you can, you know, be open before God. And let me, let me lead us just in a time of prayer and then uh, I'll give some instruction. So Lord, thank you so much um, that um, you love us so much. Scripture's clear, cover to cover. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so many people in this room have experienced 
everlasting life because they've acknowledged you know, that great love and our great need for you. And for that, we're grateful and we celebrate. And Lord, there are some in this room who are still on that journey and uh, you know, we applaud them that they're here. And I pray, Jesus, that you would continue to speak to them. I pray, Lord, that you would show them your ever-loving kindness. Jesus, I pray that more and more we would understand what it means to live like you lived and to walk as you have walked. So help us, you know, throughout this week and throughout the summer, Lord, as we wrestle with these spiritual practices, this one just being the first of a number, draw us closer and closer to yourself, teach us more and more about yourself, and help us to honor and glorify you and to encourage one another as we do that in your holy name. Amen. Amen.